0: Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We glorify you today. Oh, worship him. Just tell him you love him right now. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, we come before you. And Lord, all those that are struggling with fear, we, we lift them up to you and we rebuke that spirit of fear. And we command that fear to loose its hold and to leave. And Father, right now, we release the peace of God that passes all understanding. Father, we pray right now that your presence, God, would just come into this room. God, that it would consume us. God, that your manifest active presence, God, would move in our lives and help us. And Father, that it would transform us, God. Lord, we pray that the love of God would just be poured out into this place right now, Lord. Lord, that we would feel, God, your love in this place. God, your your everlasting love, God, that held you to the cross, God. Lord, your love that transforms our lives, God, to be like you, Lord, that we would walk in your way, God, that we would have what you have, Lord, that the kingdom of God would be in us and through us and around us. And Father, we're careful to give you the praise for it today. Father, that you would move today. Stir our hearts today, God. God, I pray your anointing, God, upon every ear, every heart. God, that today we would not listen with our brain, but God, we would listen with our heart. Father, that we would be changed in this place. And Father, we pray for revival to be poured out, God. Lord, we pray for a spirit of salvation to move, God, into our city and into our community, God. We pray for the lost right now. Lord, we pray, God, for those that have yet to receive Christ, God, that they would come to a place where they know you and walk in you, God, and that their lives are forgiven. And Lord, we pray for family members, God, that are wayward, God, that are walking away from you, God. We pray they would be drawn back. We pray for the heart of the black backslider, God. Bring them back to us, God. Bring them back to yourself, God. And Father, we're careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can be seated this morning, amen. Praise God, we want to release all the youth right now real quick, and so if you high school, junior high, you can go Uh, They are waving back there and you can follow them in the back. Hallelujah. Amen. We're glad for you today. also want to take a moment and just welcome everybody here that's worshiping God with us in person. We also want to uh, uh, welcome everybody that's joining us online. We certainly appreciate you that you join us and that you worship with us. Amen. A couple announcements that we want you to know about. I want to just maybe underscore. First of all, tonight uh, our Men of Valor is meeting and uh, a men's discipleship tonight. So let me ask a question. How many men we have here? Raise your hand if you're a man. Oh, come on. I know I'm setting you up. That's all right. Just be set up. If you raised your hand, we'll see you tonight. Amen. And so you went online, you made a commitment before the Lord. It's a legal contract. (laughs) We really want you to come, and the reason is is for, for several reasons. One, we want you to build relationship with other men in our church, but more than that, we do want to speak into your life, and I have a great message to speak to you tonight, so come on out and be a part of that. That's at 6 o'clock, we'll have, be having pizza, and then 6, I'm sorry, is that right? Yeah, 6 o'clock pizza, 6.30 for class, and uh, uh, we'll be ministering to you and we'll make sure that you have a good time. Also, uh, Wednesday, I will be finishing, this Wednesday, I'll be finishing our Bible study on divine healing, and in that service, we will be praying for the sick, and so we're believing God for miracles. How many believe God's a miracle worker? Amen. And so we're believing for your miracle. Amen, and, and we're believing God to do that. So if you are struggling with something or you have a family member, a neighbor, um, a coworker, whatever it might be, Um, uh, somebody in your life that could use a healing, uh, bring them out, and we'll believe God to touch them. Can you say amen? Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me over to the book of Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 9. We'll get to that here in just a moment. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to take the time to share with you something that I really am still in the grips of its conviction. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is that I'm going to be really vulnerable today, okay? And so I am going to not only share my heart with you, I'm going to share with you what God is doing in me in this moment. And so... I want you to, and I, when I was praying today as I took the service and I said, let us hear from our hearts, there's a difference between hearing from your mind and hearing from your heart. You know, we can give mental assent to any given subject, but never really feel it in our heart. It's only when we begin to embrace truth in our heart that it has the power to transform us. I remember years ago when I first started pastoring, Kathy and I were living in Needles and I was working a job uh, at the Sears store. I was working in the catalog store. And the owner of the catalog store, he uh, was an atheist, but yet he read the Bible every day. He loved the Bible. He said, I think the Bible's the greatest book ever written. He says, I think it's got the greatest poetry. He says, the, just the way the words come together, he goes, I think the Bible is awesome. He goes, I don't believe a word of it. He goes, but I, I, I love it. He goes, I read it every day. In fact, at that point in time in my life, which is really the bar wasn't very high back then, but uh, he said, you know, he, he could actually quote Scripture better than I could um, because of his daily reading. And I, I often pondered that because we can actually possess truth that does not transform us. God help us if we hold on to truth that does not transform us. We need truth to transform us, and that's why today I say you need to hear this from your heart, and, and I guess that, that, that sounds fine because then my natural question is, well, how do you do that? You know, how do you do that? Well, I guess what I am saying is what you need to do today is you need to lay down your walls, your defense mechanism. You need to lay down the, the, the propensity to elbow your neighbor and say this is for you. You need to realize this, what I'm about to say. Let me say this. If it ain't for any of you, it is definitely for me, okay? And so I just want to encourage you with that. And I know you're probably thinking, oh, dear God, what's coming? It'll be okay. It's going to be okay. Tell your neighbor it's going to be okay. All right. So the other day, I was coming out of the prayer room. Many of you know, I've told you this before, before every, every time I come to the office, I... I go into the prayer room, spend some time with God, and, and so I'm in, in there, and I, I pray. Well, I was, the other day, I was coming out of the prayer room, and there was a woman in the alley. And she was obviously distressed and agitated, and it was apparent that she was tormented by something. And she looked over at me and began to cuss me out. And that was not the first time this has happened. I've been cussed out by this woman many times before, and I've had many encounters with her before. So I did what I always do. I kind of chuckled to myself, assuring myself, at least hell knows that I'm a man of God. And over the past few years, I've kind of grown numb to all of this, and I've chalked it up to her bad decisions. And I assumed that she was just irresponsible in life, and as a result of her irresponsibility, it's destroyed her life. And I kind of had, you know, that, well, that's what you get attitude. You ever had that? You ever looked at somebody and go, well, that's what you get? You know, that's, you know, you, you act stupid, then stupid things happen, you know, that's what you get. That was kind of the attitude that I had that day. Well, little did I know all of that was going to change. And I'm not even sure how it all happened, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how all this t- came together except that, you know, God had a plan. And how many know that sometimes God puts things together and it's beyond our ability to understand how all, He connected all the dots. But He did it. And I believe it was Rosemary that came into my office, and without knowing what had happened to me earlier, and when I came out of the prayer room, she said, you know that woman that walks in the alley back and forth? And I said, yeah. It was kind of like, got my attention. She said, do you know who she is? And I said, no, I don't. And she told me her name, and I was shocked. I sat back in my chair, and I was grieved. She was a young woman who years ago went to this church. And to make matters worse, my wife told me that she was involved in our children's church ministry. And I was sitting in that chair because I had no longer recognized her. And I was convicted to the very core of my being. Convicted because of my apathy, because of my arrogance because of my lack of passion. Here was a person who at one time walked with God. She had prayed in this church. She had worshiped in this church. She had volunteered in this church. And now she's walking the streets talking to herself. And as horrific as that is, that's not the tragedy here. The tragedy is that I had moved her in my mind, to a place where she was at best an inconvenience and at worst a frustrating problem. The tragedy is the one who was called and anointed to share the love of God could only see an inconvenience and a problem. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus speaking to his disciples said, When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. I think it's time that we ask ourselves, when was the last time we were moved with compassion? See, I hope this morning that I can ignite your heart for evangelism. I hope I can give you a passion for souls or at least like the fuse. I believe we need to be reminded this morning of our obligation to the Great Commission. We need to be stirred up for what God has called us to do. Can you say amen? amen. We need to be reminded about the passion we ought to have for those. Who are lost, and we need to ask ourselves whether or not have we lost our passion. One man once said, we are called to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. We are called to reach the lost. We are called to restore the broken, and we are called to release people into their destiny. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20 says, Jesus speaking, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This was Jesus' final words to his disciples. He said, Go into all the world. Make disciples of nations. Jesus was thinking big for these 12 men. We need to probably think big too. Can you say amen? See, there are three, wall, three w- words on the wall in our foyer that sum up the vision of our church. Grace, hope, and transformation. And these words need to be more than just decorations in the foyer because we are a church that believes in grace we believe by grace through faith are we saved we believe grace has been applied to our lives if it were not for grace dare i say we would all be walking the streets if it was not for grace dare i say some of us would not even be alive if it was not for grace What would be happening in our lives? We need to embrace grace because it's grace that gives us the ability to have the hope of a future. It gives us the ability to know that the hope of the world is Jesus Christ, to know that there is, in fact, an answer for every problem under the sun, to know that God is real, not because a book told us, but because we have breathed and experienced the living God. And from that hope, we are transformed from what we were to who we are, Transformed from utter death to very life itself. Transformed from darkness to light. Transformed from evil to righteousness. That we are not the same. In fact, the Bible says we are brand new creatures in Christ Jesus. We need to embrace that. Can you say amen? And that is not just for me that I would wallow in the benefit of that grace, hope, and transformation, but that I would be a dispenser of that grace, hope, and transformation. Can you hear what I'm saying? So I want you, with those thoughts in mind, I want you to listen to what Paul the Apostle says in Romans chapter 9. It's very profound. In verse 1, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. It says, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with, utter, filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people. My Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing, listen to this statement, I would be willing to be forever cursed and cut off from Christ if that would save them. They are the people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob are their ancestors. And Christ himself was an Israelite as far as human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Now listen to me this morning. There is no doubt I feel completely unqualified to speak about this subject. But it is so vital to us that we cannot overlook it today. Truth is, I need to speak about this because I too need to stir my passion for the lost Because if we are to reach the lost, if we are to have a passion for souls, a burden for those who are slipping away from Jesus, we need to rekindle what God has already done. We need to light the flame again. Can you say amen? amen? Now this morning, we're going to have to ask ourselves some hard questions. And the first one is, is how much real concern do we have for those that are living without Jesus? Do we fail to win people to Jesus because simply we do not feel the depth of their need? Someone once said the epitaph of our society should be this. This civilization died because it didn't want to be bothered. In New York City, a mailman was shot by a sniper. He staggered into the lobby of a hotel And because he was dripping blood on the carpet, he was thrown out and he died on the street. In Oklahoma City, a woman gave birth unexpectedly on the sidewalk. Bystanders turned their heads away from her. A taxi cab pulled up and saw what was happening and then drove off. In Dayton, Ohio, a dozen people saw a woman drive her car into the Miami River and they watched indifferently as she climbed onto the car's roof and screamed that she could not swim. She drowned that day. And recently, you've probably seen it on the news, there was a woman being raped on a New York subway train. The people in the train car filmed it so they could put it online. No one got involved to help. Dr. Lawrence Gould, the president of Carleton College said these words, I do not believe the greatest threat to our future is from the bombs and guided missiles that may come our way. He says, I don't think our civilization will end that way. I think it will die when we no longer care. Arnold Tornby, the British historian, pointed out that 19 out of 21 civilizations have died within, not by conquest from without. He says there will be no bands playing and flags waving when these civilizations decayed. It happened slowly in the quiet and in the dark when no one was aware. My question to the church this morning is this. Is carelessness the problem with our church? Are we in danger because we just don't want to be bothered? No doubt there's apathy in the world, but has that apathy this morning infected the church? Do we have a take it or leave it mentality with the things of God? Think about it for a moment. It is so easy to proclaim a truth in our head or with our mind that we are unwilling to embrace in our heart. There are things in the Word of God that we have yet to experience, not because they're unavailable to us or because God has somehow uh, put a moratorium on them, it's because we just don't embrace them. There is a level of living in Christianity that we have yet to enjoy, not because God's unwilling to give us that level, it is because we are unwilling to embrace that level. Have we moved into a place of apathy, particularly with the souls of men and women who hang in the balance of eternity? As we look at our text, we find the uh, the absolute opposite of apathy. Even before Paul's conversion, the Bible says that he was full of zeal persecuting the church. After his conversion, he was full of zeal preaching the gospel and building the church. So before he was saved, he was a zealous persecutor. And after he was converted, he became a zealous proclaimer of the good news. He was wholehearted in the service of Satan. And then he was, when God got a hold of him, wholehearted in his service to Christ. The thing that I find that is so amazing Is how when we get saved, how often we come into this place where now we need to manage time. Before we got saved, there was not a day that went by when the bar door was open that we weren't there. If that was your thing. With no thought of like, hey, I'm spending a little too much time here. And somehow, one hour a week at church... Preacher, better get on with it. i got things to do. (laughs) I think it has to be said. And I think this is a problem. I know it's a problem in me that when it comes to reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ, our hearts are just not in it. The best we can do, it seems, is to drum up an artificial concern for special occasions. But so often it seems that as soon as the occasion disappears, so does the concern. Paul was different. We find that he had an all-consuming passion for lost souls, and that it was always within his heart. I wonder if we can say that. Do we have a passion for souls, or have we lost the passion? I don't know about you, but that convicts me. It convicts me deeply. When you think about Paul, you you have to really wonder what kind of preacher he was, man. I mean, this guy, he's off the charts, isn't he? You don't even need to hear one of his sermons. All you need to do is just read the text we just read. When you think about that, he was so concerned about his countrymen, he said, I would wish myself cursed so that they could get saved. And he knew exactly what he was saying. And this was not some hyperbole. This was not him just sitting back and going, for dramatic effect, he meant it. But we find three things that are in his words that are not only essential to preaching, but more so they are an essential for reaching the lost. First, we see his love. He loved these people even when they were at their worst. It was how he loved everyone he came in contact with. Now, there's no doubt Paul was human and he had problems, and there were times that he got into arguments, and there were times when they didn't see eye to eye, but there was something about the heart of God that we find on the pages of the Bible that cannot be matched. In 2 Corinthians 2, 4, it says, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. He says, I'm agonizing over you. In, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, it says, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. What a passion. Because these folks were not easy to love. If you know anything about the Galatians and their history, they were a difficult people and they were a difficult church, but they were his little children and he loved them. And in Philippians 1.8, it says, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul had a love that came right from the Father. Paul also had a compassion. This blows me away. You need to hear this story so that you could get a picture of this compassion. In Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 22, it says, A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. They had just cast a demon out of a little girl that was being profitable for her masters. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. That's a whole nother sermon. They were severely beaten, and then when they were thrown into prison, the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon. The outer dungeon wasn't good enough. And clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. A whole nother sermon. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation, and all the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off, and the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, and he assumed the prisoners had escaped, escaped. so he, threw, he drew his sword at, to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Now, here's what's amazing to me. This guard probably tormented Paul and Silas. I mean, you got to think about this. This is a Roman guard. He's a Roman centurion. This is, this is a man that's probably a brutal man. He's in charge of a prison. And generally in those days, the guys that were in charge of prisons, they were especially brutal because there, were no, there was no human rights at that time. And all they told him is they told this guard, make sure these guys don't get away. So he comes up with a plan. I'm going to put them in the inner dungeon, and I'm going to shackle their feet. And I am certain that he unloaded some torment to these guys. But here is Paul at midnight. Paul and Silas are singing, praising God. And God miraculously delivers them. And out of compassion. And my question is, what would you do to your tormentor? What would you do? What would you say to the guy that just got done beating you, putting you in the inner dungeon and shackling your feet? What would you do? Would compassion rise? Would you let him kill himself or would you say stop and then share with him the gospel of Jesus Christ? That is the kind of compassion I'm talking about. That's amazing to me. It's convicting to me. I get upset when somebody's taking too much time scanning my food at Smith's or Safeway. Can't you get it right? I'm being tormented here. Do you understand I'm a pretty important person? (laughs) Then the next thing, the last thing that we see in Paul is his earnestness for the lost. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 22, he says, "'For though I am free from all men, "'I have made myself a servant to all.'" In other words, he says, "'I am under the control of no man, "'but I am make myself a servant to all "'that I might win the more. "'To the Jews I became a Jew, "'that I might win Jews.'" to those that are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are are under the law, to those who are without the law as without the law, not being without law toward God, but under the but under the law towards Christ. In other words, I didn't just go off into wild sin so I could win people. In other words, I was under control, but I, I lived my life as if I did not have the restraints of the law, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some in other words he says I'm willing to do what it takes to win souls I'm willing to look goofy I'm willing to take off the facade and go I was convicted the other day because I blew it it was the heart of Jesus dwelling in the chest of Paul. And what I mean is he was infected by Jesus' passion for dying lost souls. Now the natural question is, how do I know if I have a passion for souls? How do I know if I even have a passion? So this morning, I, my goal is not to make you feel bad. My goal is I want to stir you See, church, I've been around a long time. You know that. I've been to church a long time. I know the buzzwords. When I'm having a horrible day and you come to me and say, how you doing? Praise God, I'm doing good. Bloody war, but my side's winning. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus, I'm my side. My side's winning. I read the end of the book. And all that I could say without even thinking. When my life is collapsing and the thing I want to do is run. So how do I know if I have passion? See, it's easy. I remember years ago a guy said to me, well, I'm evangelistic. And I said, how, how do you know that? He said, because the church I go to is evangelistic. I'll let that sink in. So I want you to look beyond yourself, and I want you to look into your heart. And I want you to take stock today. Do you find the heart of Jesus there? Do you find a passion for souls? See, because if we are passionate for souls, then soul winning will be the main business of our life. What are we really living for? What is our greatest ambition? Is it a new home? A better job? Is it worldly success or possession? position? Is it money or is it the ease of life? You know what? The, the, the funny thing that's happening to me, now I'm definitely not the ancient days by any stretch, but I'm old enough to appreciate the idea of retirement. The other, day I, the other day I was watching some police show on TV and I remember the guy was on there and he said something like this. He goes, yeah, I've been doing this job for 25 years. It's time I hang up my spurs and retire. And I've been thinking, well, I've been doing this job for 33. And so sometimes what happens is we just come to a place where it's like, hey, you know what, let's let the next generation do that. No, you know what, most of you today are older in this room, and I'm looking at you and I'm saying, you are the ones that need to raise up the next generation. We have, the next generation need what you have. And what and I'm gonna hear, I'm gonna really make friends with this one. Instead of complaining about the generation coming up, let's embrace them and love them and give them the wisdom they need. Let's quit trying to change them and make them like us. Look at it, look at it. I, I, I'm amazed. I, I I'm like I said, I'm getting old enough to have some revelation here, okay? So I love eighties music. Why? Because that's when I grew up. Some of you love fifties music. Why? Because that's when you grew up. Now, I'm not going to make everybody listen to 80s music because I understand that the next generation, they don't live in the 80s. (laughs) Another sermon, I'm off the topic. We need to be passionate about souls, and it needs to be the main business of our life. If we're passionate about souls, we have a priority for soul winning, just like Jesus. Listen to what he said. John 4.4 4 says he needed to go through Samaria. Why? Because there was a woman that needed to hear what he had to say. Yeah. Not only that, that woman needed to bring that whole village out to hear what he said. In Luke 9.5, it says, When Jesus came to the place came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Why? Because Zacchaeus could bring other tax collectors and they needed to hear the word. John 9, 4 says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. What is he saying? He's saying, look at, we must have a must. I must, I have a need I need to share this gospel. If we're passionate about souls, we'll be willing to let go of the trivial so that we can embrace the truly what's important. You know what, church? I, I, once again, here's, I'm giving you a little bit about my age. Walking through my garage the other day, I discovered that I'm, we have boxes in my garage that we haven't opened in probably 20 years. And we have moved them four times. Moved the boxes, unopened, four times. Don't even know what there's in there anymore. I'm hoping there's boxes of cash. I don't think so. I think it's just junk. And I think the reason why we haven't opened them is because we've convinced ourselves there'll come a day when we'll want that crap. So meanwhile, it clutters up our life and we're hanging on to it. You know what the problem with hanging on to crap is? You can't embrace anything else. (laughs) <laughs> was that too rough? Was that, was that too rough? <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, <laughs> I'm going through my library at my house. I have, actually have a library. Those of you that have been to my house, you know, I got books stacked on top of books. I've got bookshelves filled, and then there's books in front of the books stacked up. And I was looking at it the other day and I went, you have way too many books. There's books in there I'll never read again because they're false doctrine. <laughs> yeah, so Shh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling all the secrets. I'm telling the secrets. She's <laughs> so just agreeing. The thing is we hang on to stuff. And you know what? Traditionally, we hang on to stuff in our lives spiritually and some stuff we need to let go of so that we can embrace what God is doing. We're in the last days. People hang in the balance. And you know what? Heaven and hell is real, church. And I wouldn't wish hell on my worst enemy. You know what hell is? Hell is a place without God. God is light. So there's no light in hell. God is living breath, so there's no air in hell. He is the Prince of Peace, so there is no peace in hell. It's not a place anyone should go for any reason. We need to give them the gospel. Can you say amen? And if we're going to be passionate about souls, then our efforts need to be. We need to bathe them in tears. Psalms 126, 5 through 6 says, Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They will reap as they go planting their seed, but they sing as they return the harvest. In Luke chapter, listen to this. Just listen to this precious story. Luke 19, verses 37 through 42. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees among the crowds, a crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for, for saying things like that. He replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came closer, listen, here's this wonderful moment with Jesus. Then it changes. But as he came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead. This is the city of David. This is the city of the presence. He began to cry. How I wish today that you, of all people, would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. When's the last time we really cried over souls? If we're passionate about souls, we'll be willing to make sacrifices for the sake of others. It'll cost you, but it'll be worth it every time. If we're passionate about souls, we will rejoice when one soul is saved. So I want to bring this to a close if Jason wants to come play music. I, I just very quickly just want to give you some advice for becoming passionate, lighting the fuse. First, we've we got to get a glimpse of eternity. I was reading a book on heaven a while back, and the guy opened the book the way he opened it in his introduction. Is he said people will spend months planning a week long vacation, but they know nothing about where they'll spend eternity? I think, church, what we need is to have a glimpse of eternity and realize that what's happening here means something. When you have a glimpse of eternity, you realize that you know what? It's long, it's forever forever and it'll change how you see people that are lost we need to be absolutely convinced about the present desperate need of every lost soul and their future destiny without Jesus you know this is beginning to change me on the inside the other day Friday we had occasion Kathy and I were at Walmart and we were picking up stuff for the church and so we were buying lots of multiples of stuff and it was quite a bit of stuff. And so we were putting it on the belt and this young woman, don't know her, just young woman, she's our checker, she begins to check but she's doing it one at a time. And I, having, you know, being the bright individual I am, I know that you can actually type in, you know, count them up, type it in, swipe it once, and you can do 30 items at once, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, this is on, on the inside of me, and I can feel this sarcasm and frustration, and you know, this this whatever. I don't even have the adjectives. And I just I but I stopped. Something stopped me because God quickened this. He quickened to me and I looked at my wife and I smiled and I said it's okay because she knew she knew she knows me better than anybody and I went it's okay this is a really good day this is a good day we don't got nothing else to do man we're here right now and we're going to be in this moment right now it's okay and when I said that the young woman looked at me and she goes how are you doing today I don't even know if she even heard me saying this to my wife. And I went, man, I'm doing great. How are you? And I don't know, but I imagine that she probably hears a lot of guff from a lot of people. And it was maybe the Christians shouldn't give her so much guff. I'm just thinking maybe that would be a good start. We must meditate on the tremendous sacrifice of the cross. What Jesus went through, what he went through physically was nothing compared to what he went through spiritually. And I don't even know if we can understand that. I don't know that there are, is a human language that can, that can describe what he went through. But he paid an awful price and it was not for nothing in church we we need to learn to love we are too cynical look at let me let me can i just can i just take just a tiny little bunny trail we need to we need to not allow ourselves to get caught up in the rhetoric of the internet i was talking to somebody earlier today and they had come in and they were just going down the line of all the garbage going on in the world and I asked him, I said, why does that surprise you? And why are you offended by it? And he looked, just looked at me and I said, it's 2 Timothy. Paul tells Timothy, in last days perilous times shall come. People will be lovers of self and disobedient and they'll be arrogant and violent and all this stuff. Why are you surprised? And why are we putting so much energy into describing what God's already told us. Because ultimately, everything you learn on the internet is questionable because you do not know. But we will form opinions and doctrines of judgment about people that Jesus Christ died for. When we should be just saying, you know what? We ought to pray for our president. I expect your emails, letters, and cards later. (laughs) It's too easy to be judgmental. It's not easy being a judge, right, Judge? But it's easy being judgmental. If you don't know, Larry was a judge for 15, 16 years. (laughs) I love Larry. I love Larry. But when you have somebody's life hanging in the balance, wow, that's tough duty. And when we appoint ourselves the purveyor of the conspiracy theory, you're way off track. We need to be in communion with the Lord. Because when we're in communion with Him, we'll begin to share His passion. You notice Jesus never got, I guarantee you there was more conspiracy going on in his day than there was in ours. And he never got caught up in it. He just loved folks. He just loved them. And finally, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples when he was ascending into heaven, he said, you wait here until you're endued with power because the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will empower you to be my witnesses in the earth don't let, don't let hell distract you don't let the developments of the day I'm not saying be ignorant please don't Oh, we just bury your head in the sand no we just go you know what Jesus thank you for one day closer to your arrival thank you that you're on your way and this all is going to be over one day but right now, I need to give myself to win in some souls. I preach this today to you, and I'm going to shut up, because I love you. I love you, and I know the heart of God, and I know this really affected me. And so I, I don't know where all this takes me in the sense of what God's going to do inside my heart, but I'm going to let Him. And I pray that you let him do that because I want revival I want I want to see the drug addict set free I want to see the alcoholic delivered I want to see those that are addicted to pornography free from that I want to see the child that's been abused have a safe home I want to see the parents that are just caught up in all manner of wickedness free in their mind and their heart I want to see revival. But we're going to have to get passionate. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we just come before you right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray, God, that you would just touch our lives. We thank you, God, for the revelation you're giving us. And I pray, Father, that these words would ignite a passion in us. Father, that we would go away and we would consider the condition of our heart concerning this lost and dying world. Father, give us wisdom. I wonder today, everyone that's in this room that is here or everybody that's watching online, if you're here today, I know this wasn't really a salvation message, but if you're here and you say, you know, I don't know Jesus as my Savior, but I'd love to give my life to Him. If that's you, would you lift up your hand all across this place? Amen. Praise God. Amen. I see that hand. You can put it down. Someone else. I need Jesus. Maybe you're not right with God. Maybe at one time you walked with him, but you find yourself disjointed. You find yourself backslidden, but you need Jesus in your life. Would you lift your hand? Would you, would you lift it up? Amen. See that hand. Would you pray this prayer? And for those of you that are on watching online, if you want to pray this prayer with us, just follow along. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and to forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and my Savior. I give you my life, and I receive yours in return. In Jesus' name, amen. If you did that for the first time or the 101st time, it's the greatest thing you've done. I'm going to ask our ministry team to come up, come up front. And if you prayed that for the first time, come up and talk to one of these that are standing up here. If you online prayed that for the first time, let us know. Put a comment in the comment section. And for the rest of us, let's, before we go, let's just stand to our feet real quick. Let's stand to our feet. Remember, men, we got men's discipleship tonight, 6 o'clock, 7, 6 o'clock for, 6.30 for the class. Come on, I'll be a part of that. And then Wednesday, we'll be praying for the sick. We're going to release you today. Go today and say, God, go, ask God, give me a passion for the lost. Give me, let, let me see through your eyes and feel with your heart. Amen. God bless you. We're going to release you let you go. You could come up if you have prayer need at all. Come on up and they'll pray for you. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.